This country is in a state of transition right now, <laughs> he says with understatement. In January, we're going to have a new president who will take the oath of office and assume power from our current president, Barack Obama. One last time, relax, have a drink with me. One last time. That song you're hearing right now is from Lynn manuel Miranda's hit Broadway show, Hamilton, which is fitting because you're listening to the Code Switch podcast, the Hamilton edition. I'm Gene Demby. So in this song, Chris Jackson, who plays George Washington, is singing the country into its democratic future. Washington is deciding to quit when his term is over so the country can elect his successor, which basically establishes the tradition of a peaceful transfer of power in the United States. If I say goodbye, the nation learns to move on. It outlives me when I'm gone. Up until just a few days ago, Chris's job has been to be the black first president of the United States in this gigantic phenomenon of a musical. It's not a bad gig to have. He's been rapping and singing and acting for almost two years from back when the show was off Broadway at the Public Theater. And if you know anything about Hamilton, you know it's been held up as a mirror to our present political and cultural moment, which gives us a fantastic excuse to call on the model of a modern major general, Chris (laughs) Jackson. Welcome to Code Switch. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I'm so sorry. Shireen is not here. She's busy. Um, I know you wanted to chop it up with her, but you're stuck with me. That's all right. (laughs) That's all right. Shady, but it's cool. It's fun. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, you're almost done with the show. I think by the time this episode is up, you'll have just wrapped. How are you feeling? Like, how's it feel to be almost done? I don't really know how I'm going to feel the next day, but I just, I I feel like I've been on a really fast moving train for a long time and, and, uh, and now I'll get my feet on the ground. We'll see what it feels like. I don't know. Uh, you got the lyrics, the music for uh, One Last Time, which is your big number in the show, um, the day after the shooting at the Emanuel Methodist Church in Charleston. Yeah. What were you, like, what were you thinking? What was going through your head um, as you were processing both the news and the lyrics that you were reading? I came into rehearsal. Um, I was called a little later than the rest of the company, and I had been reading you know, the news as it was breaking, as it was sort of unfolding. And I knew that Lynn was doing a rewrite for, for the song that became One Last Time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were, I was just learning this, you know, just sort of, they were plunking out the notes and I was learning it. And, and it just, it struck me in a way that I was dumbfounded and I had to stop singing for a moment as I, as I sort of processed the line that, you know, and no one shall make them afraid they'll be safe in this nation that we've made. And it, it, all, at that, mm-hmm. it, all at once, it just kind of rushed, rushed over me. And since then, there's not been a single day where I was not thinking about that that very thing. Everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. They'll be safe in the nation we've made. I want to sit under my own vine and fig tree, a moment alone in the shade, at home in this nation we've made. One last time, one last time. You know, none of us should wake up feeling afraid. Um, that's one of the, the parts of the, the American dream that should be afforded to everyone. And, and so that it hasn't been is, is tragic in so many ways. And, I, and I'm, um, I kind of feel like that it's sort of in that work and in that song that it, it brings a lot of those issues to, to bear for me personally as an actor interpreting this material. Hmm. That moment really transcends just sort of like, you know, that, oh, it's the last time he's singing the song on stage. Right, and it's right, right. Last time. Like, right. That, it, that's always been more, meant more to me than, uh, 
than sort of the sen- sentimentality that we uh, we can find ourselves caught up in. Right, right. And for those of you who haven't seen or heard Hamilton, first of all, get your life if you have not heard it. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so how many, if you had to guess, how many performances of Hamilton have you done at this point? Like 300 maybe? Um, no, I would say we're between five and 600. Between, yeah, between the public and, and Broadway. Yeah. When I went to see Hamilton with some of my colleagues here at NPR in uh, March, in early March, um, one of the things that struck me immediately was there were all these brown people on the stage and it was me and this mm, other yeah. older cat in the audience. <laughs> at one point when uh, when Leslie Odom was singing Wait For It, it seemed like we were the only two black people in the entire gigantic room. <laughs> it's hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> I would almost bet that Almost everybody in the orchestra section felt the exact same way. Not that they were the other black people in the audience, but Leslie has a real gift of like making you feel like you're the only person in the audience uh, that matters. Uh, you know, that's just kind of his way. That's I actually tweeted way. about it's, that afterwards. Like, I think Leslie was looking right at me. Yeah, yeah. No, but but you know what? He pro- he probably was. Like, I, <laughs> I I always go out of my way to like you know, especially at the top of the rap battle. If I see you know a young brother that you know sitting around, or I see a couple or whatever, I always give him a little bit of an extra nod. I do. Yeah. I mean, because you know we're we're still finding our way to to Broadway to the theater. Right. And so I'm curious about like what you make of sort of the that juxtaposition between the whiteness of the audience and you know obviously the the race bent cast of the the rate the sort of race bent retelling of the founding is a really important dynamic is a central dynamic of the play i'm curious to what you make of sort of um the whiteness of the audience and if that's a thing that's been true of all the productions you've been a part of um i would say that you know for you know that's a that's a sort of a multi-layered question though I think that there are a lot of realities that go into what make up a Broadway audience. One, we're in New York. Mm-hmm. Two, um, you know, in times past, it has been cost, pro- as is now, you know, it's cost prohibitive mm-hmm. in a lot of Especially respects. Hamilton, right? Yeah. Uh, depend- yeah. Well, you know, because aftermarket is pretty, pretty spectacular for our show. In right, right. Like after aftermarket ticket sales. Um, I would say this, like 20 years ago when I did Lion King, you 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 rarely saw people of color. Mm-hmm. Very much what you described in your experience when you sat in the theater. And I would also say, to be fair, that that's not always the case. Sure. Um, I, from my vantage point, though, I can always tell when there are people of color in the audience. Uh, <laughs> I, I can also, you know, but I th- I think that the, that the how can you how can I can you? always tell and I and I can always appreciate that when there are people of color in the audience, especially children, because sure. You know, what we're doing on this stage is unlike anything that really has ever been done on a Broadway show. I mean, in in terms of the fact that you're looking at five, you know, six founding fathers of our country portrayed mm. by people who clearly do not look like the founding father, the actual founding fathers of right. our country. Uh, right. And so um, that alone accomplishes a lot. Um, uh, but, I, you know, I would say that, you know, for the longest time, like Broadway... Like a lot of things, like Broadway has been going through this change over the last 20 years mm-hmm. where the shows that have been put up are actually shows that appeal to the widest audience possible. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not always been the case. What's driving that? So mm-hmm. I think I think the material, I think the awareness, I think that that Broadway has more of a prevalent position in in our in the zeitgeist. You know, certainly none none greater than 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 Hamilton, right? Um, and at least in terms of what I've seen, and I think that you know, personally, I've seen a willingness uh, 
by Broadway producers to make sure that they are marketing to all markets and all audiences as opposed to um, just the folks that, you know, the, the, the bridge and tunnel crowd and, and mm-hmm. the tourist, you know, buses that come into town. Um, you know, 20 years ago, you had to go out and look for a soundtrack to a Broadway musical. You know, now you don't have to do that. Now, yeah, now you, know, you know, the, the, the Hamilton, yeah, the Hamilton soundtrack, you know, is, is gone platinum. Right. I don't think there's ever been a soundtrack from a Broadway musical that's moved um, those kinds of numbers. It was the number one hip hop album in the country at one point. Well, how about that? So have you seen have you seen a shift in the makeup of the audience over the last year or so since you guys have been at the Rogers? Yeah, I have. Um, the tricky part about that is that, you know, Hamilton is still the hardest ticket on the planet to get. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but our producers, they've initiated this Hamilton uh, education outreach program. And so once or twice, sometimes three times a month, they've underwritten with the Gilder Lerman uh, Institute and the Rockefeller Center. They've they've essentially bought out the house for 1,300 high school juniors. Mm-hmm. And... From the city? So, because it be... From the city mm-hmm. and from the surrounding areas. So, you have... Su- you know, this is incredible melange of, of inner city kids and suburban kids, and they're all kids and they're teachers. And they've presented... You know, they've studied the the... the musical and the makeup of it and the history behind not only the making of the of the musical but of Hamilton's life and how he interacted with the world and they perform these they've they've written these performance pieces and then one piece from each school about 11 uh, different schools they come on you know it starts at like 10 o'clock in the morning and one of the it's moderated by myself or someone from the cast okay and we basically just like open the stage up and they do these performances and then the entire matinee performance is for them and so the makeup of that audience is i would say 85 percent people of color and so that alone changes that dynamic and you know you ask me about if i think it's changing well most of those kids never got to see a broadway show before so you're out when you're performing you know, for these this theater full of high school kids, right? A lot of most of them are black and brown, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. What is the energy like in that room? Like, is it is it has to be different than like your 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 the the, the energy <laughs> even on the night when I went to see it, right? It's amazing, man. It's amazing because they're so they're so intent on catching every little thing. They're so intent on being right there in that moment, and they're creating that moment. Mm-hmm. They're the best audiences that we have. Because they let you know exactly what they're, you know, they respond so purely to everything that's happening on stage. And you know it's New York. You can't go to a movie without you know, <laughs> right. somebody shouting back at the movie. You know what I mean? So it's sort of like, it's like that great mix of, you know, they don't necessarily know the rules of sitting in a theater. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and, you know, and, and the teachers don't shush them. You know what I mean? Like, they're just in it. They bring this just amazing, like, energy to, to the room. And to a person, you just see every member of the cast just just zero in and and focus just a little harder because we just want it to be the best thing that these kids have ever seen in their lives. It's funny that you say what you just said about uh, not knowing the rules of the space because that was the thing I felt acutely Mm -hmm. when I went to see it. Like It was like, oh, this is a hip-hop concert um, and I know all the words to this music, right? And right. I also was like cognizant not to rap along too loudly. You know what I mean? Like, oh, because I was uh, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And it was this very weird, jarring feeling. Like, oh, like you know, I yeah. just went to see the Roots a couple of days ago, and it was like, I know all the words of these yeah. songs. I'm gonna rap it along as loudly as possible with my hands in there, right? Yeah. Um, you go yeah, to a, a, right. at Hamilton. I know all the words, and the people around me know the words, and I'm like, you know, and we're like, 
you know, we're, we're sort of muttering under our breath a little bit. It's a very, behaving. like... You're behaving. You're <laughs> behaving, <laughs> right? Right, right. But right. I also felt like, you know, after a performance, I wanted to be like, yeah! Like, you know, I wanted to yell at the stage, and I'm like, oh, that would be inappropriate. You know what I mean? But you know that happens every show, and you know that happened at the show that you were at. We we always have, like, 100 human teleprompters. You got the first 20 <laughs> folks in the role that won the lottery who are who are so excited to be there right. and be there for $20. You know what I mean? <laughs> but everybody who sits in the, in, the, in the audience has been waiting on their ticket for a for year. For a minute, right. So they know the words. Like, you know what I mean? Like six months, eight months to a year. I met a young woman who had traveled. She bought tickets a year ago and traveled from the Philippines with her girls what? just to come and see our show. Wow. From the Philippines. Wow. You know, that's a full day on a plane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's And that's, that's the, you know, when I say it takes time to like process... Like, I got to process that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, somebody traveled oh, from the other side, side of, of the, the planet world, to, watch, yeah. to watch me be a part of of this right. thing, you know? And that's that's not nothing, man. That, like, you know, that's an incredible thing. All right, y'all, we're going to take a quick break here. But later, we ask Chris Jackson about what it was like to perform as George Washington after the election and sing one last time, that one last time. Stick around. Guy Raz is the host of How I Built This, NPR's newest podcast. It's about innovators and entrepreneurs and the stories behind the movements, companies, and products they created. Each episode captures triumphs and failures, serendipity and insight, told by the founders of some of the world's best-known companies, like Epic Records founder L.A. Reid and global restaurateur Jose Andres. You can get How I Built This now on the NPR One app and at npr.org slash podcast. And now let's get back to my conversation with the very first black president on stage anyway, Chris Jackson from the musical Hamilton. I'm thinking about how much pop culture sort of informs the way we shape a bunch of ideas about the way the world is supposed to look. And for a lot of people, I imagine those high school kids in particular, seeing George Washington and Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr as a bunch of brown men, um, right? And and the Scholar Sisters as a bunch of, of women of color, right? Um, will like be one of those things that sort of changes what the default looks like in their head when they think of these people. Um, and I'm sort of- I, ch- I, I'm, People tell me that every day, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things like, you know, the first version of whatever is the version you sort of, that sort of imprints upon you. And that's not one of the first versions, but it'll probably be the most, one of the most um, influential versions that you get when you're like 16, 15, 16. And I'm curious, like, sure. you know, you're playing George Washington. Uh, uh, and I know that, like, you've been sort of adopted by a lot of Washington scholars <laughs> who want to keep you up on everything. Sure. Um, Happily so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you talked a little bit before about Washington and his slave owning and how you tried to reconcile or not reconcile that part of his story. He owned people. Yeah. You know, he owned people that looked like my father, mm-hmm. that looked like me. Um, he claimed to own people. You know, you don't own anybody. Um, but in a very real sense, um, I, I, th- I it's really difficult to talk about because you know I've I, I I've I've come to a place you know I guess a, a, I've made a compromise with myself I haven't compromised my principles but I've made a compromise with myself as an actor mm-hmm. that that has basically said you know you have to portray somebody you have to portray a, a man who was 
behind so many uh, unlikely and um, just breathtakingly genius ideas and found a way to enact them, right? Right. But I, I, I'm not the dude to, 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 to consider him a god. Um, I think that the, the, there's always been a move to like deify our founding fathers. And I, and I get that, you know, that, that has a place and is important in terms of like educating the population on, on the kinds of, uh, uh, things that we should strive for, the kinds of, you know, moves that, that will be remembered and, and that will have a, a lasting effect on, you know, our country and on, you know, future generations. But to almost a person, they were all under the mindset that someone that looked like me was not capable of prescient thought, hmm. of civilized behavior or aptitude, had an aptitude for, um, for greatness. And my entire life has been an experience in which, you know, growing up in the South, I had to behave. Mm. I had to, yes, sir, no, sir. Um, I had to speak the King's English. Mm. I had to do all of these things that were all predicated on the same kind of um, mindset that this character that I'm portraying ensconced in the world, like put out into the world mm. and benefited from. Right. Um, and so I'll never, I'll never make, make peace with that, but hmm. I don't have to. Right. I surpassed that part. You know what I mean? And I'm surrounded by and know um, that at least we're at a place where a majority of the people who, you know, uh, who live in this country know that that was just, you know, the worst of us. Okay. And it represented the worst of us. A majority. Um <laughs> Yeah, a majority. A majority. <laughs> there's not <laughs> think, a consensus yet. No, there's not a consensus, and that you know, I think that the 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 problems that we have, um, society, you know, speaking of our society, are all rooted in the fact that you know, you I think you have to just take it, you know, like I, I put it this way, like my father struggled with addiction. He struggled with a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm still a son. That's right. But I don't, you know, there's something about being able to acknowledge that that then gives me the power to break the yoke of what he was dealing with. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think I don't think our country gets any better until we kind of like come to terms with that. And I'd like to think that Hamilton is is helping in that regard in that it gives us, you know, it gives folks that need it permission to to appreciate what our founding fathers did without whitewashing literally, literally all of the things that they did wrong mm. you know and once you own that because you've benefited from it once you own that then we all can kind of you know continue the conversation and get, get on with our lives we're jumping ahead a little bit here when we first spoke with chris he had more than a week left before he took the stage one last time in his final performance at hamilton and so we got to catch up with him just after he said goodbye to the show and the audience all right, Chris, it's the day after your last day at Hamilton. Yes. What did it feel like at the end? Like, how did it feel when you did one last time, that one last time? I It was the most truthful experience that I've had with that song because, and I said earlier today to Lynn that it's it's really like the, the final like gift because mm -hmm. you can only do one last time for real the last time you do it. Right, right, right. So I, in a sense, I never felt more connected to the material. In that moment, 
than last night. I mean, it was did you, incredible. Did the audience feel different in the shows after the election? Um, what was the feeling like in the theater after Tuesday? You know, I was doing Lion King uh, back in 2001 mm-hmm. uh, when September 11th happened. And we were we were dark for several nights. And then we came back. And I don't say this lightly, but I haven't felt that much of a collective need for some kind of solace mm-hmm. since that moment, since that show. Huh. Back in two thousand and one. Now I'm not comparing the two things. No, no, no. Uh, no, no please no. don't don't no, no. don't get me wrong, because they are clearly not the same thing. Right. And we're in New York and we're a bunch of actors and we're I, I would say overwhelmingly liberal leaning mm-hmm. politically. But you know, we had a company meeting before the show started and you know, some of my brothers and sisters were in tears. Some of my my brothers and sisters that are part of the LBGT community were expressing genuine fear Mm -hmm. and genuine anxiety about the outcome. And there was a need to feel for all of us, you know, to just come together and, and just, and and just know that we're, that no one's alone. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a, it's a, the, the fear is very real. Yeah, that, um, that's what we've been dealing with the last couple, and, and, or sort of trying to, you know, moderate the last couple of days is, is talking to people about how yeah. they're feeling. And that's what, yeah, obviously we've been getting you know, a lot of that, you know. It, it was it was really helpful for me to hear uh, the last podcast that you guys did um, with the two folks, who names I, I can't remember, uh, regrettably. Um, uh, Nagin Farsad and Gustavo was, Ariano, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And their, and their decidedly, you know, different vantage point in the way that they were able to express it. Yeah. I, I admit, made me feel better. Did it? Made me feel better, you know? Yeah, I should just say absolutely. to the people, I mean, you were the first person to to call me, you know, like the day after, like, yo, like, how are oh, you well, feeling? Like, you know, I yeah. mean. That, that that check-in is desperately important. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I was tweeting, uh, I was tweeting that morning, Wednesday morning, mm-hmm. and I just felt that sense of despair from people. And I, and I felt it in myself, mm-hmm. but I had, before I went to bed, not knowing the results, but knowing where it was going, I was like, you know what? it's going to be okay. Democracy worked. It just didn't, you know, it didn't work the way I wanted to see it work. But that's why everybody has a vote. It seems like, you know, I mean, one last time again, uh, is a song about like what won't last in people's legacies and um, after a new administration. And did it feel, I mean, so much of this election has been about sort of undoing the work of uh, a lot of the policy accomplishments of the first black president of the United States. Did it feel different to perform it this go round this last week, this last couple times in the theater? I'm still trying to process what it felt like, Mm -hmm. quite honestly. And I think the biggest sort of concern with most people is that, you know, obviously what has been fit, what has been accomplished by this administration that has benefited the most Americans will be undone, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But I think that folks have to really look at the office of the president of the executive and know that there are checks and balances and not every single, you know, the, the, the great check for any administration is the other are the other two branches. Mm-hmm. So my hope is, is that while, yes, things, you know, definitely look a little crazy <laughs> in terms of what is possible with the Supreme Court nominations, there's still a process, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would certainly I, I've not been a fan of the the, the Republicans being obstructionist. I, I'm not I'm not encouraging the Democrats to. But 
I want to meet some politicians. You know what I mean? I want I want the people that are coming to, to Washington, I want them to be politicians in the truest sense of the word that are not sort of just talking to their own specific audience, but that are looking at, you know, the electorate as a whole. You know, I, I think that that's what Washington had in mind when he did cede power. Mm-hmm. He was tired, you know, but the things were set in place. He's like, you know what? It will work. But it will only work if I leave now. Because we have to like move the ball forward. We can't just stay in one place. And that's what One Last Time is all about, mm-hmm. is really celebrating that one act that now has, you know, <laughs> now we're in the midst of seeing how well it's going to work. But you know what? It, it's worked for 240 years. So mm-hmm. um, my hope is that it'll, it'll continue to. I'm choosing not to be afraid because I'm, 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 I'm fearful that if I wake up afraid, then my, my son and my daughter are going to see how afraid I am. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter cried. She didn't want to go to school Wednesday morning. She was afraid. Really? You know, because everything that we teach them, and she's in second grade, everything that we teach her about bullying, about behavior that, that isn't acceptable, about uh, accepting one another, about being tolerant, you know, not 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 agreeing with the person next to you but but being tolerant doesn't require anything more than base level respect mm-hmm. all of those things that we teach them was shook to the core for all of us you know um but i i, I guess in, in in the final analysis i mean their kids are watching and just as they've seen how you know donald trump can behave and some of the people that have supported him can behave you know, we got to remember that they're all they're still watching mm-hmm. and and whatever we do collectively, um, it has to be for them. It has to be for what we're teaching them, because if we allow, you know, just any kind of behavior, just any kind of policy changes, just any kind of hateful rhetoric or, you know, any of that, if we allow that to happen, we're really we're putting them in a horrible position, you know, Um my hope is is that through all of this that we don't forget about who we are as people. Hope didn't die last week. Not not here. Hope didn't die. Chris Jackson is was George Washington hey. and Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, friendly. I appreciate you so much. All right, man. You got it. Let me tell you what I wish I'd known when I was young and dreamed of glory. You have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. All right, y'all, that's our show. We want to hear from you, as always. Email us at codeswitch at npr.org. Follow us on Twitter at NPR Codeswitch. You should definitely, definitely subscribe to our podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found. Walter Ray Watson produced this episode. Original music by Ramteen Arablui. Our editorial assistant is Leah Danella. A big shout out to the rest of the Code Switch fam. Adrian Florido, Karen Grigsby-Bates, Kat Chow. Our editors are Barry Hardiman, Keith Woods, and Allison McAdam. My co-host, Shumi Marisol Maraji, is back next week. Hurry back, sis. I'm Gene Demby. Be easy.